How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, good. Well, I come from America, and so I know that um, I'm more used to louder responses. So forgive me, forgive me for this, but I'm going to ask again, how's everybody doing this morning? And, you know, I do have good standing to, to actually ask for a second response, because you guys are very loud when it comes to football. You guys are very loud. So you guys say, oh, no, most Brits were reserved and quiet. But when it comes to football, I've never heard more loud people in a pub in my whole life than when one person scores a goal finally after the whole game. Or they don't even score. They don't even score. They just had, like, a good pass. And everyone's all excited. So I know you guys can be energetic and excited and loud and and, and good. So how's everybody doing this morning? Good. Awesome. Awesome. Because God is good. Because God is good. That's why, that's why we're doing good. Because God is good. You know, um, oftentimes people, people will um, ask how I'm doing. And I want to be transparent and honest and say, you know what? I'm not doing too good you know, right now. I'm not having the best day. But, you know, I, I say that, but then I quickly say, well, it doesn't really matter how well I'm doing, really. What matters is that he's okay. That he's good. And even if I'm having a bad day right now, that's okay. That's totally fine. It's okay to be having a bad day. When people ask you, how's your day going? It's okay to say, you know what? It's not good, but God is good. God is good. And there's, there's um, a lot of people can find themselves stuck where they, they say, yeah, no, I'm not having a good day, but you know, God is good. Praise God. But in their heart, they don't understand that. They just say it because they've grown up in that kind of culture and environment. Or they say, yeah, I'm not doing good, but you know, God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And it's kind of like people understand that as kind of just a phrase and a saying. And the goodness of God is not actually true in reigning in your hearts the way it should be. When the goodness of God reigns as king in your heart, when he reigns as king in your heart, man, I'll tell you what. Even bad days turn to good days really quick. When you begin to see again, remember again, think again on the goodness of God, not your circumstances and the things you've been through and the things you've gone through. But when you think again on the things God has done for you and the things God has done for people and the things that, that, that God has just done and he's going to do for you and just who he is. And you remember those things instead of the things that didn't happen, instead of the prayers that you may have not have had answered, instead of the things that you feel you were let down on, because we tend to log and, and, and remember those things. We tend to keep record of the things that God has not done for us, and we can recite them quickly of all the things that God has not yet fulfilled. But can you recite just as quick or even faster all the things that God has done for you on a daily basis from the littlest things of you, you know, getting to work on time even though there was traffic? From the littlest things to, you know, your, maybe your, your child called you and, you know, said, how are you doing? Are you, you having a good day? And these are things that you know you want inside the depths of your heart. And God gives them to you because God is faithful to give you the desires of your heart. He wants to. And if we keep track and we keep a record of the things that God has done for us, we won't be so depressed and we won't have so many bad days. Because oftentimes a bad day comes from a realization of bad things happening, right? 
a bad day is because every day is the same. The sun rises the same way and it sets the same way. The earth spins the exact same way. So in all reality, the days are the same. What makes a good day versus a bad day tends to do with our experiences. And that's why we cannot live in our experiences. We cannot live by what we've seen and what we know. We're Christians. We're not the same. We're not the same as everybody else. We've, we've been given a new mind. We've been given a new life. We've been given a new outlook. And we've been given grace that people don't have. And because of that grace that we have, and because of the forgiveness we have, gosh, Days aren't the same. We don't see circumstances the same. In fact, I mean, I believe it's, um, I believe it's in 1 Peter um, chapter 1. I think it's in Romans 5. It's James 1. I'll talk about the same thing kind of this way. Uh, Romans 5 says, If you must go through sufferings, count it as joy, because sufferings produces hope. I'm sorry, sufferings will sufferings produce hope. And this is how it produces hope. Sufferings produce patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope that won't put you to shame because of the love of Christ Jesus poured into your hearts. And then Peter says, if it's necessary that you must go through trials and various things that are, that are not fun to go through, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more pure and more valuable than gold and silver, may result to praise the glory of our Father. Amen? But you can't live that way. You cannot live that way if you cannot think that way. You cannot have that kind of response if you don't think that way. If you have a, if you have a different mind, not the mind of Christ, what I want to talk to you guys today is about the renewing of your mind. What I want to talk to you guys today is about getting free in our mind because I believe that lately, the last like week or two, God's just really been having on my heart heavy for, for, for us, for as, as his bride, as his church, you know, just really heavy on my heart is that there's so many people in thousands, in thousands in number that love God, okay? You love God. By a show of hands, if I was to take it, most hands would go up in the room right now if I say, do you love God? Your hands would go up. And I would say, do you want to serve God? Are you willing and available to serve God? Most hands would stay up in the room. But there's a problem because you have the mentality and the heart to want to serve and you love God, but for some reason we still live bound up in our mind and we don't live a life that's free. We don't know what it's like to live in freedom because if we did, our life would look like Jesus. And, and, that, and that sounds harsh and I'm not coming down on everybody. Hear my heart, I'm coming in love. I'm coming with the truth because it's God's desire that you may live and walk in freedom. It's not his desire that he would be saved and set free but still live as if you're in prison. It's not his desire that you would remove yourself from grace. Paul, tell, Paul tells the Corinthians, he's like, listen, you were doing well, but then you just started doing these things, putting yourself under the law, therefore removing yourself from grace entirely. And that scares me. That, that troubles my heart. It troubles my mind that we can be under grace, right? Because it's Paul says that when the, when the word was preached to you, you started running well. You were under the grace and you started doing the things of the spirit. But then you began doing the things of the flesh, circumcising one another, putting yourself under the law, therefore removing yourself from the grace that you were given completely. 
that you received not by works, but by faith. And Paul's trying to say, listen, you, you heard the word, you were set free, but then you tried to make it happen on your own. You tried to make it a method and you created religion out of what wasn't. And you bound yourself up in the law again when you were free in grace. And now, now you have to go back to this thing. And I mean, it says in Revelation, Jesus is talking to the church, I believe the church of Ephesus. And I, I may be wrong, but he was, he was talking to the church of Ephesus because they had, they had left their, they had fallen away from their first love. And what Jesus instructs the, the church to do, what the remedy for getting back to the first love. The remedy of what Jesus said, this is how you're gonna get back to where you came from. Um, Jesus doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, okay, uh, pray and then do this and then do that and then do this and then go to this seminary and then you'll be okay. Jesus said, begin to do again the things that you once did when you were full of passion. If you lose your passion, you can quickly fall into religion. And when you fall into religion, you remove yourself from the grace to live in freedom the way you were called to always live. And it is not God's intention for you to ever lose passion, for you to ever lose your fire, for you to ever lose your excitement of the gospel. It is not his will. It is the will of the devil. But for this reason was the son of man made manifest, 1 John 3, to destroy the works of the devil. We now represent Jesus Christ fully and our job description, if you will, is to now simply destroy the works of the devil. And the devil wants you to be pulled away from God. The devil does not want you to have relationship with God. The devil saw relationship with God that Adam had and he was jealous of it. So what he did is he destroyed it. He wanted to come in between the relationship that Adam had with God. The work of the devil is to separate the relationship you have with the father. Religion has the power to separate you from the love and the relationship of the father in your mind. Because the love of God is always for you. It's always towards you. He's always with you, Romans. Romans 8, nothing can separate you from that, but your mind, you can live as if you are. So what I want to talk to you today about is the renewing of your mind. Um, I believe it's, uh, first, you know, I'll turn to it because I don't know that one too well. Um, 1 Corinthians 2, um, 14. Let's start there. If you have your Bibles with me. This is going to be a good day. Look to the person next to you and say, you look pretty. You thought I was going to say it's going to be a good day. <laughs> I like that. I'm liking it. <laughs> All right. You with me on 14, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Okay, ready. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Okay, we can stop there. That's good. Listen, the natural person, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of God. Pastor, I keep telling my family about Jesus and they just don't get it. They just don't get it. I keep praying for my mom. I keep praying for my son, but they just won't, they, 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 they just won't hear me. They, they just won't, they won't listen. And I, pastor, I try, I try to come, I, I try to step out in my faith when I'm working and people just, they don't receive it. They just don't receive what I'm saying. Well, 
Listen, the natural person does not accept the things of God. You once did not accept the things of God, but it was when you were made supernatural by baptism of spirit, being born again, that you were able to understand the things of God. Verse, in the same verse, for the things of God, for they are folly to those that are natural. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Understand that they are not logically understood. The things of God, when God wants to do things, it does not make natural, logical sense. So it's silly to try to justify why God is doing what he's doing or explain how he's going to do what he's going to do with natural logic and reason and human wisdom when the things of God are not discerned by human wisdom, but of spiritual understanding, understanding and discernment. It would be silly to try to explain in natural human terms why God's doing what he's doing, but we find ourselves right there alone in our bedroom, in our secret quiet place, thinking that way. God called us to do so. Let's just imagine God called us to step out, right? He called us to step out into this place. And now you're in this place, right, where God's called you, whether it be business or ministry or whatever kind of place you want to put yourself in. God's called you to come into this place. But now you're here and you don't necessarily see what he told you there was going to be. Instead of seeing a land of milk and honey, you see a land full of giants, is it okay to use that example? So instead, God called you to this place, okay? And so you go, you go, you did, you did it. You got through, you got out of Egypt, you went through the desert, you did it, you did a good job. You've made it. Now you're at the place where God's called you to be, okay? And instead of it being a land flowing with milk and honey, it's a land flowing with problems. And now you're in a land flowing, flowing with problems. It is full of infested of problems. And you're like, um, did I hear God wrong? That's almost one of the first prayers we think. Um, maybe I heard God wrong. Maybe I should pray again. And we go and we pray again. And then God gives us peace. And he's like, no, I've called you to be here. And we're like, oh shoot, God's called, God gave me peace. Dang it. I was hoping he'd give me, un, you know, not give me peace so that I could say, you know what? I heard God wrong. I'm gonna go in this direction now. Dang it. God gave me peace about being here. Okay, so I'm here. So now we're here again, and we're in this land, and we don't understand why we're here, so we try to understand it, and we try to make it make sense. And so we start to see all the giants and all the problems, and we put ourselves in the category of the children of Israel who saw the problems and not under the spirit of Joshua and Caleb that saw a promise and said, you know what, if God promised, I don't see a problem, I just see a victory. If God promised, it's not gonna be a battle, it's gonna be a victory. Amen? If God promises even any opposition that comes against you, it's not an opposition, it's not a battle, it is a victory. Because it is promised, it is written, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord raises up a standard against him. It is written that every single time the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises up a standard against him. So if God called you to do something and God called you to go somewhere and there's opposition, it is not a battle, it is already a victory. 
And you cannot see that unless you spiritually discern by the Holy Spirit. Now, the spirit of Joshua and Caleb was the spirit of the pioneer, of the forerunner, of the next generation. So the old generation had to die. The old generation had to pass away. What does Jesus call us to do? If you're going to come follow me, you must deny yourself. Paul says, I crucify my flesh daily. You have to crucify your mind. You have to lay your mind down. If you don't have the mind of Christ that 1 Corinthians says you have to have, then you will not understand the things that God's called you to do. And you'll walk around clueless, helpless, lonely, feeling oppressed, feeling disappointed, and feeling like God let you down. Because you're so focused on the problems because you're reasoning in yourself. You're reasoning in your heart that God didn't call you to, that God didn't call you to do this because of the problem that's there. And you, you see a lack of victory. And even if you were to fight them, there's no human possible way you can defeat nine giants. You're one human. And there is not a human possible way. That's why God does it. He puts you in such a place that you have no reason to even boast because it's impossible for you to have done it. He makes it so awesome. He says, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set this thing on fire, but I don't even want them to have a reason to say that you did it magically. So, he's, so he instructed Elijah by the Holy Spirit to soak that whole burnt offering thing with a lot of water, not just a little bit of water and make the wood wet. He said, make it a pool, put the wood in the pool, and I'm gonna set the whole pool on fire because I want there to be no reason for any human to say that they did it. For I am God and I can do all things and nothing is impossible for me. And God calls you to demonstrate that thing. God wants your life to be a demonstration of the impossibility of humans, but the possibility of God. For it is, nothing is impossible for those who believe. It is written, Jesus said, nothing is impossible for those that believe. So why do we start reasoning why things don't happen if nothing is impossible? Because we start to make sense here and we start to live by our experience and we're like, well, this person didn't get healed and this person didn't get breakthrough and this thing didn't happen, so I'm gonna explain to you why. They didn't because of this thing, they didn't because of this sin in their life and they didn't because of this. And we start to make reason, we start to reason everything and explain everything when truly we're supposed to stand in faith and say, you know what? Even if they were in sin, even if they were in this, if I was put in their prison, in their situation, like Paul and Silas in prison in Acts 15, even if I was put in their situation with freedom, I can be so free that when God sets me free of my prison, sets me free of my chains, he sets every murderer, every robber, every adulterer free of that prison and every single shackle falls down because one person steps in the room that's free. God did not set Paul and Silas free in that prison. He set every single person in that prison free. And every other person in that prison deserved to be there. Keeping on reading. The spiritual, verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But what? We have the mind of Christ. Now say that like you really believe it. Because some of you are looking at me like, I guess I'm supposed to have the mind of Christ. Some of you are looking at me like, 
No, you do. You have the mind of Christ by faith. You don't just wait. You, you, don't just, you, you, don't just, you don't just go to bed the day that you get saved and wake up and you're super smart. That's not how it works. It's not, it's not instantaneous knowledge and instantaneous wisdom. No. The mind of Christ is instantaneous faith. Instantaneous faith in a father. Instantaneous trust. Instant. Instant. When you get the mind of Christ, you have instant faith. You have instant trust. You have instant belief that your father is going to provide everything. For Jesus says the son can do nothing without the father. Jesus on his own right, in his own strength, with all of his wisdom and all of his knowledge, could do nothing without the Father. So the mind of Christ is saying, even with all the wisdom, even with all the knowledge that I, Jesus Christ, have, even with all the ability and giftings and talents I have, I can do nothing without the Father. The mind of Christ is surrender completely of the mind of man, taking up the mind of God, the mind of the Holy Spirit, the mind that reigns in God. It says, it says, that, it says that the depths of God calls out to the depths of man. And it says, it says, it says earlier on in, 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 in this chapter that um, God sends his spirit and he searches everything, even the depths of God that his spirit comes into us and he searches everything, even the depths of God to make them known to us, to make them plain to us. In the same chapter, you can read it, it's great. First Corinthians chapter two, it's awesome. But until the mind of Christ becomes your mind, you won't live free. You will not live free. And I don't mean that to preach condemnation on you of like, okay, you're not gonna be free. No, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's impossible it is impossible for you to live free without his mind. Jesus Christ paid the highest price not to get you into heaven, but to get heaven into you. Heaven's mindset, the Christ, into you. Jesus died so that you could be his representative. Jesus gave his all so that you could have his all. He didn't give his all so that you could have a confession and simply just believe these things that are written in words, but live differently. These, this book, this word, this, this truth, this is, not, this is not a rule book. But if you don't have his mind, if you don't have his mind, this book becomes a rule book and not a person. You read this thing as a rule book. And then what people do with rules is they tend to choose, they tend to pick and choose which, which rules they want to live by better than the other ones. When you read a rule book, you tend to pick and choose what you want to kind of memorize and what you kind of want to know and what kind of you want to live by. Is it, are you following me? But a person, when you have his mind and you have his spirit, the Holy Spirit's faithful to reveal who this person is. And this person is Jesus. It's not a rule book. This is not some type of guideline book to get a happy, happy, positive life. This is simply a person. This is actually the expression of God on how God feels about everything. This is a love letter to humanity. And this is a promise. In black and white, God gave himself to us but we can't understand it with natural thinking. We never will. We'll never understand it with natural thinking. But when you crucify your mind, 
and you take on the mind of Christ, things begin to look differently. Things begin to be seen differently. You tend to look at opportunity. You tend to see opportunities where you didn't see opportunities before. You see conflict differently. You see situations differently. You think very differently. And because of all of that, you respond to everything very differently. You'd stop reacting to problems and you start responding to issues in love. You stop reacting to conflict. You stop getting offended because you know that you're not being offended because you've been accepted in the beloved by Jesus Christ, by the Father. Who can reject you? Who can offend you? If you've been accepted in a, and, and you've been adopted by the Father, what gives you any reason to feel offended by any person would you say that God's standard of you what God says of you what God declares over you is more important and more valuable than what the devil says about you okay would you say that what God says about you is more important than what your mom says about you would you say that what God says is more important than what your boss says about you what your kids say about you what your family says about you, what your friends say. Okay, so if what God says is more important than all those other things, and he says, I've accepted you, I love you, I've adopted you, why do we go walking away feeling offended because somebody said something we didn't like? Here's why. Because your mind was still at work, and your mind is still alive, and your mind was offended. Do you think that if you, do you think, let, let's just imagine the worst, most wicked person. Let's just say, literally, th this is the antichrist in, in the flesh, okay? Antichrist in the flesh, like possessed by the devil, ready? He walks up to Jesus, okay? More so like slithers up to him. Comes up to Jesus, right? And he has to get on this thing and he has to be given a microphone because he's about as big as like a cockroach, okay? So, Understand that. And Jesus is here. And so that you got this little guy. Okay. And he says, I hate you, Jesus. I don't like you at all. You're a failure. You're a mistake. You screwed up. Blah, 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 blah. Do you think Jesus is going to be offended? So if Jesus can't be offended by the most wicked person and you have his mind, then how can you be offended by anybody else? How can you pick up offense by anybody else if you have his mind? It's impossible. You're not. You're, you're simply not. That's why it says, it says that Jesus is wisdom, right? It says that. You know, you, we, we, I'm not going to go into the background of all of that stuff because that would take too long and we don't have that much time. So it, Jesus is wisdom, right? It says that a wise man, when rebuked, grows. But it says that a foolish man, when rebuked, becomes angry and becomes upset with the problem. Why? Because when you have the mind of Jesus, and somebody has something to say against you, you grow in love for that person. You receive what they have to say and you walk in the correction if correction's needed, but you're not angry with them whatsoever, no matter what they said, no matter how foul it was. If anything, you're actually given an opportunity to love somebody that hates you and that's what Jesus said is impossible for somebody to do without him. Jesus said, it's easy to love people that are kind to you, but I tell you, love the people that hate you, love the people that mock you, love the people that slander you, love the people that make fun of you, love the people that treat you wrong, love the people that assert authority over you, and pray for them. 
It's, it's written there, but we don't live like that. Why don't we live like that if it's written here? Because this is still a rule book in our hearts and it hasn't become a person alive inside of us because our mind has not been laid down and his mind has not been come up in here. But we have the mind of Christ through faith. So if the mind of Christ is in us through faith, we begin to be set free. Here's the truth. In the mind of Christ, all the truth of God is known. All the truth of God is known. Following me. And in John 8, 31, Jesus tells his disciples this. He said, listen, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, if you live in my word, not read this as a rule book, but if you live this thing out, if you live in it and my word lives in you, you shall know the truth. That word know is Greek for encounter, meet, experience, tangibly. You shall tangibly encounter the truth. In verse 32, and the truth shall set you free. So now that we have the mind of Christ and the truth we've encountered and the truth has set us free, we don't live in our bondage or in our condemnation anymore because we know the word and the word knows us and he lives inside of us and we live in the word and now we're free and now that we've been free, Matthew 10 says, freely as you've been given, freely give. So if we've been given freely freedom, we can walk around giving peace and giving our freedom to people. What if you could live so free that you set other people free? Because I'm going to stretch, I'm going to stretch, I'm going to stretch a verse. I'm going to stretch a verse, okay? So this is, this is, this is advised not to do, but understand I would never take this thing out of context. I, I never would, because you can make, if you don't understand the heart of this, you can make it say almost whatever you want it to say. So, there's a verse in here. And Jesus, he says something awesome. He says, listen, if you're slapped in the face, I was going to use an example, but I thought, you know, with a person, but it would have been, it would have been too crazy. <laughs> You'd been like, what is this American doing slapping people on the face and the, on the platform? Um, no, but if you're slapped on the right cheek, turn to him and give him the left, right? And then he goes further on to say, if someone asks you for your cloak, give him your tunic too. If someone asks you to go one mile, go with them too. So listen, if someone slaps you on the face, you're to turn to them and give them your left, right? Now, first of all, how often do we even do that? But oftentimes when we're slapped in the face and it's in front of people, see, listen, when you get slapped in the face and it's in private, it's a little bit easier to say, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna defend myself on that one. I'm just gonna forgive you. But when you're slapped in the face and it's public, you feel an instant need to defend your reputation, instant need to defend your dignity, instant need to defend your notoriety. Because now your recognition is at stake because you've just been slapped in the face. You're now publicly humiliated. So now what you have to do is you have to publicly defend your reputation and your dignity, that you're a God-fearing person. That was the attitude of somebody named Peter before Peter was redeemed. Because there's two Peters in the Bible. Really, there's actually three. There was like a middle-stage Peter becoming from Simon to the Peter that wrote, be holy. It started out as Simon the fisherman to Peter. You know, where in that Peter, Jesus said, 
get behind me, Satan. Okay? And then the Peter that said to us, be holy as he is holy. There was a shift. There was a transition. There's a difference. Something happened between get behind me, Satan, and then the same guy saying, be holy as I am holy. Something happened. What happened was Jesus encountered him with love. He rejected Jesus, denied Jesus, but then Jesus didn't come down on him. Jesus redeemed him with love and gave him a job. What if the people that denied you, made fun of you, rejected you, you gave them something of authority, you gave them something of value? Peter denied Jesus, and Jesus' remedy to fix the situation was, Peter, do you love me? Okay, feed my sheep. Here's my whole flock. Feed my sheep. You denied me, so what I'm going to do, I'm not going to put you in the corner to, you know, time out. I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to give you my people. That love doesn't make sense to human. It doesn't make sense because they're in trouble. They did something wrong. They deserve to be punished. But Jesus said to the woman in John 8 that was a prostitute and she was on the ground and they said she was caught in the act of it. Jesus gets down and he starts writing with his hands and he writes with his finger in the dust and he starts writing these things and he just looks up and he says, let him without sin cast the first stone. And he starts writing again. Jesus was the only one without sin. Imagine this. He spoke what his father said, right? Imagine the father in his mind saying, imagine the father speaking, not Jesus. Let him without sin cast the first stone. Jesus hears it. And Jesus is the only one without sin. Saying, Jesus, if you, if you want to, you cast the first stone. And then Jesus says what the father says. The people go away from the oldest to the youngest, dropping the stones. Then he goes to the woman says, where are your accusers? The only person who had the right to accuse her was him, the one standing right in front of her. He said, where are your accusers? She said, they've all gone. Because the only one with the right to accuse you will never accuse you. The only one with the right to accuse you of sin will never accuse you. He says, where are your accusers? Why? Because all accusers are liars. Jesus does not accuse He never will. Let every man be a liar and let God be true. So Jesus said, then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. That's the heart remedy for Jesus in a situation. So Peter says, hey, you denied me, but do you love me? Yeah, okay, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. So Peter, Peter goes out, all, out on this like massive renewal of his mind. His mind gets completely renewed. He encounters truth. The truth sets him free. His mind gets set free. Then in 1 Peter chapter 2, he writes to the church and he says something awesome. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, if you want to go there. He says, live as people that are excellent. Live excellently, okay? Live well. Live rightly, live righteously. I'm not, I'm not really good with words. Thank God that all the words I need are here. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. So live righteously because Jesus gave you the freedom to live righteously. You cannot do it by any act of work. You can only do it because he gave it to you. 
You only have freedom. You only have grace to live righteously because he did what he did. There is no amount of effort for you to actually be able to do what you do. So why do we live as we're trying to get to the next level in God when that's never the foundation that he laid in the first place? He never said, okay, come this far, I'll give you a treat. Now come this far, I'll give you another treat. Now come this far and I'll give you another treat. That's never what he did. Jesus said, I'm gonna do all the work. Here you go. All the authority I have been given, I freely give to you. Once we've been given salvation and we start to learn God and we start to want to grow in, in this thing where we, we tend to live with God as, 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 as almost like a school where we have to accomplish a certain amount of tests, a certain amount of things. And once we've accomplished a certain amount of things and hit our quota, we can then be promoted to the next place. That's not the way that Jesus ever gave it to us. That's not how he did. Everything he gave to us was relationship. It was out of relation. It was Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me. You don't have to try to do stuff. Come to me and I will give you everything freely. So Peter writes in, Peter writes in chapter 12. That was scary. Verse 12, chapter 2. See, it threw, it threw me off. Live excellently. That if anybody speaks of you as being evildoers, put to silence what they say by what? Defending your reputation, defending your dignity, standing up for what you've done and what you've done right. So here's the problem with human understanding. Ready? We're prepared to give a defense for what we've done. Spiritual understanding is we're prepared to give a defense for what he's done. It says it all over. It says it. It says it in Colossians. It says it in Philippians. It says it in Romans. That we're prepared. Paul says, I'm prepared to give a defense for why I'm here of the gospel. We're not here to give a defense for what we've done. But we give a defense for the gospel. Human understanding is when somebody comes against us, we defend ourselves. Wisdom through spiritual discernment is that when somebody comes against us, we're prepared to defend the gospel and how we defend the gospel is right here. It says that anybody that speaks evil of you put to silence what they say by doing good. Hopefully, here's the, here's the stretching of the verse that I told you about. You know how I said, turn, give them the left cheek? Instead of just simply turning and giving them the left cheek, what if we went one step further and instead of just being unoffended by people, what if our heart was when people came with an offense, when people came speaking evil, we have a hope to do this. Hopefully winning them over to your side that they may rejoice with you together as one in the day of the visitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What if when people offended you, you weren't just unoffended you weren't just, all right, you know what? I'll give you the left cheek. Go ahead. I'm not offended by what you say. I'm going to forgive you. No. What if we took it one step further and instead of just being slapped in the face, we say, you know what? You came with an offense. How can I serve you? How can I do good for you? How can I hopefully win you over to the truth that lives inside of me by doing good? A few verses down. Peter writes, this is the same Peter that Jesus said, Satan, be ye behind me. But this is a Peter that's been transformed because his mind has been changed. 
And his mind now says this, check this out, ready? He says, masters, treat your servants well. And then he says, servants, treat your masters with all respect and kindness. Even to the masters that are good, I'm sorry, even the masters that are mean to you because the masters that are good to you, what credit is there? He goes, what credit? Understand the logic that Peter's using. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to come against anybody in this room. What I'm trying to do is remove all of your excuses because excuses are never in here. Why would I put in my mouth things that were never in the mouth of Jesus? Jesus did not have an excuse as to why people did not get healed or why this did not happen or why this will not happen. Jesus never had that in his mouth. So why would I put that in my mouth if it wasn't in his mouth? The only reason I put that in my mouth is because my mind is still thinking. Make sense? So you're still following me. Okay, I haven't lost you. Okay. Then he says, what credit is there to endure hardship because you're evil. Not much, none. But to endure hardship from your masters treating you poorly and you did nothing wrong and enduring that is gracious in the sight of our Lord. What if we really had a mentality shift where we started to think like God thinks and when we notice that we're being treated wrongfully, we actually see it as, wow, God's about to show his glory in this situation. Because of the fact that I'm being treated poorly, I know God is about to use this situation. By my response, he's gonna bring his glory into this exact problem, situation, circumstance because of how I'm going to react. He knows that I'm not going to revile against who's said anything. I'm not going to react against what they've said. I'm not going to like freak out, but I'm going to respond in love and I'm not going to be offended. But instead, I'm going to try to win them over by serving them and doing good towards them. And instead, in turn, God is going to use something that was inside of their heart. See, people react and they do things out of what's inside of their heart. So God may, God may, um, he, he may like, what is the word I'm looking for? He may compel you compel people to, to be stirred up of what's inside, that when you come, it lashes out on you because he trusts you. Imagine that. What if that's really what's happening? What if we run into people and they freak out on us? And it was never supposed to be a test to test our character, but it was actually because of them God saw something inside of their heart and he needed to get it out. And so he was looking for the nearest Christian that could pull that thing out of them and replace it with love. But instead, most Christians walk past this person and this person lashes out on them, rah, lashes out. And we're like, wow, dude, I'm done with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna work with this person I'm going to forgive them. God, bless them. Give them favor in what they do. I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm walking away. And all God was looking for was God was standing right next to the person that lashed out on you and he was just waiting for somebody to receive him well in love. He was just waiting for somebody to be like Jesus would. 
He was just waiting for somebody to be like Jesus. When Jesus walked past people, demons just went, and they just lashed out. And then Jesus took the person that was com- completely infested with demons, and he, and, and he took all the demon, demonic thing, he removed the demon, and then he put people in their right mind and set them free. But a lot of us can't have that happen around us. Demons, demons cannot manifest around you. And I don't, mean this, I don't mean this hardfully. Hear my heart. I don't mean this against anybody in this room. And I'm actually not even saying specifically this church. I'm saying, I'm saying more on a global body level. I'm, I'm, I'm saying this corporately. A lot of us cannot have demons manifest around us because we'll freak out. We just will. And demons don't look like somebody just moaning and groaning and yelling sometimes. Demons sometimes look like somebody that's really upset, really lonely, really depressed, really just angry, really rejected, talks to you about all this bad stuff, all this negative stuff, and it's just a demon inside of that person, and God's trying to get it out of them. But you're offended by it, or you're upset with it, or you feel rejected by it, or you don't feel comfortable with it, so you're just going to keep on walking and minister when you feel like you should instead of ready in season and out of season. The next verse in that part where he talks about the masters, I can read it for you guys if you'd like, because I'm paraphrasing in First Peter. First Peter 2, where is it exactly? He says, First Peter chapter 2. Um, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, servants. Okay. Verse 15, for it is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Ready for this? Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom to co- as a cover-up for evil. And in another translation, using your freedom to assert yourself in authority. But use your freedom as living servants of God. Our freedom, that's First Peter chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Our freedom that we have is not to attain authority and it's not to cover up evil. You know, I, I heard it said one time and I loved it about grace. And, and, and there was a season a few years ago where there was this hyper grace thing. I don't know if you guys heard about it, but it's this weird thing where people pretty much say they can just get away with anything kind of a thing. Um, but it says, that, it says that in Jesus was the fullness of grace and the fullness of truth. And I never saw Jesus sin and get away with it. So why is that the grace that I live in? Grace is not for me to sin and I get away with it. Grace, if, if Jesus is the fullness of grace, Jesus lived as the righteousness of God on the earth. The grace we have is to live as the righteousness of God on the earth. But we cannot and we won't if we don't have his mind. Because I believe this is a room full of people that love God. And these are, this is a room full of people that want to serve God. And in fact, I bet you most of the people in some way or another, you serve God. You do good things. You, you go after God in one way or another. I go after God. But I found even in my own heart, in my own mind, areas where I lived and I was bound up. I was bound up in captivity because I wasn't free. And so that's what I want you guys to get this morning that you can live free. Excuses can go. They can. You can live completely different. So I'm going to close with a story um, from last week from when we were in London. And uh, you were definitely right. We've been, we've been traveling a lot. We've been around a lot of um, England. Like we've been 
Scotland. We've been Liverpool, West Midlands, Wales a bunch of times already. Um, Cambridge here, you know, London, um, Dudley, Wolverhampton. Now we're going to go to Poole next week. Um, then we're going to go to Cardiff and the Newtown. It's crazy. And in all the places that I've gone and that we've been to, we've seen people get free. We've seen people get free. And, and I'm talking about on the streets. I'm, I'm not talking about in necessarily in, in meetings. Yes, in meetings, people get free. That's actually why we were worshiping. Funny enough, the way we were doing it today, it's interesting sometimes, you know, when I get to lead worship and speak, I kind of have a feeling of what's going to happen. So I kind of get to lead worship in the direction of where we're going. But the reason why we were worshiping the way we were worshiping today, there, I don't know if you guys noticed, you guys probably did. This, the words weren't on the screen. Reason why is because I wanted to get us to stop looking at this thing as a rule book and I wanted us to just start getting in relationship where you don't need to read that. You just are in a place of worship. You're just in a heart of worship. You don't need good sounding music to worship. You know, I heard people, I've heard people say this all the time when, um, <laughs> bless them, God. But they've told me, they say, wow, the worship was so anointed, but when the person came up for the offering, the spirit just left the room. They were so in the wrong spirit. Man, when they came up to take the offering, it was just, man, the spirit, it, it was just dry in the room, and it was so hard to get the spirit back in the room for the person that was preaching. For the longest time, I kind of understood that as normal, traditional, you know, I guess, theology that I'd just grown up and taught, but I never actually s sought it out and looked for it. In Acts, I think, 17 it is. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Acts 17, 11, I think, Paul, it says that the Bereans studied the word way better than the Thessalonians because they actually went into the scriptures to prove if what Paul's saying was true. I didn't do that. I just took it and went with it. But then I realized, wait, God's in the room, worship is in the room, and all of a sudden somebody comes up to take offering. It's not like God's offended and he's like, oh my gosh, the offering came, I'm gone. What kind of God is that? Quick, that, that quickly offendable that the worship, the atmosphere is so good, the spirit of God's in the room, then all of a sudden someone comes up to take the offering and all of a sudden the spirit of God's gone. No, I found out that I was disconnecting. I started using my mind. I started analyzing and judging the person taking the offering and I disconnected myself from the spirit, removing myself from the grace. The spirit of God is this easy to tap into. He wants you. You don't have to try. He wants you. It's, 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 it's when I'm in my room alone, it's literally this simple to just get in God's presence. It's just this simple. Thank you. Thank you, God. It's that simple. You disconnect because you start using your mind. That's all that happens. That's really it. So if you can just see that, but then use that knowledge to not do it. Lay your life down. The first thing Jesus says to follow me is you must deny yourself. You have to or you can't follow me to the places I'm going to call you to go because you're going to look at a road that I'm going to take you down and it's not going to look pleasant and you're going to stop and you're not going to come with me. Jesus doesn't say deny yourself because I don't like you. No. He says deny yourself because your flesh is not going to agree with where I'm going because the natural man will not agree with the things of God. Romans, Paul says that the things of God are at enmity with the carnal mind. At war with the carnal mind. So when you get his mind, you see things differently. So we're in London. I'm about to speak at a meeting. And um, 
and I and 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 they said they said yeah so we're going to be late so we're going to be about an hour late and so I said okay an hour late that's good I didn't get a coffee yet so I can go get a coffee um so I asked if there was a nearby coffee place and we found one across the way it was in a building just like this and the floor was full of nursery clothes toddler clothes for babies and stuff but upstairs on that level was just Costa it was like heaven. You saw it. It's like, I got to go up the stairs, and I'll be there. So I went through the, 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 like the baby you know, department, and I got up to the, to, to the Costa, and the lights were off, and, and the cafe area was shut down. I was like, oh my gosh, are they closed? And I asked the lady, it was only one girl working there by herself, and I asked the lady, I said, are you closed? And she said, no, I can't do any food anymore, but I can do coffee. I'm like, thank you, God. So I'm like, yes, I would like a coffee. And we all, all four of us ordered our coffee. And um, except James, James wasn't feeling well, so he just got hot water. So um, we, we all order our drinks and stuff. And, and I go to sit down because I'm like, well, I have an hour. I don't need to be here for this. You know, for, I don't have to go back to the church right, right away. I can sit here and have a coffee and maybe talk to these people that I'm with, you know, still getting to know them. So I go to sit down and I notice in every single table in that Costa, it's trashed. It's thrashed. Like there's trash everywhere, rubbish as you would say. There's plates everywhere, cups full of coffee everywhere. It's nasty. The, 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 the seats had like crumbs and, and, and debris on them. It was gross. You didn't want to sit anywhere. It was repulsive. And the woman had already told me that she's there by herself. And so um, I'm wearing this, this, like, this shirt that says, love God, love people on it. And um, um, I go over to her and I'm like, hey, can I help you just like clean the tables and stuff? And she said, she said oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that, don't do that. I'm like, I'm gonna anyway. And so I, start, so I went and grabbed some plates and stuff, some cups and plates. I started just stacking them on the table and stuff. And then one of, one of the people that was started doing that with me, and it took the two of us literally like five to 10 minutes to clear everything. And we cleaned every single table. We wiped them down. We brought them to her so she could just take them straight to the kitchen. We threw out all the, the, the rubbish and everything like that. We, we, we cleaned it and then we finally sat down. And um, she was just literally, as she would take the plates from our hands and take it into the kitchen, she was just like crying. She was like, thank you. You have you. How did you know I've had such a bad day? How did you know? Thank you so much. Yeah, this is crazy. I'm, what? And I'm just wearing this shirt that says, love God, love people on it, you know? And I'm just like, I'm like thanking God that I wore that shirt today, you know? Um, and I'm just like giving her the plates and the cups and stuff. We finish, we sit down and we drink our coffee and I'm like, okay, it's time to go. So I, um, I walk over to her at the, um, at the, she's doing like the numbers and stuff and she's cleaning like the, the counter. And um, I said, uh, I said, so how's your day going? She's like, thank you so much for doing what you did. You, you had no reason to, I, I don't, I don't even know, I don't even know what to say. I'm like literally in tears. I don't know what to say. And I'm like, yeah, no, God loves you so much, you know? And she's like, that's crazy. You know, it's crazy that you're talking to me about God right now. Cause last week I started asking, um, all my friends about different religions, Islam, Buddhism, Christianity, Jehovah Witness, everything. She was just talking about all these things she'd been asking. And I was like, well, you don't need to look any further. This is not religion. This is a relationship. It looks like loving God with everything and then responding to that love by loving people and doing things like this. We don't do this because we have to. We do this because we get to. You're a person that we get to love and he loves you so much and we just get to show you. I'm grateful that we had the opportunity to clean the tables. She's just crying. She's undone. 
And the only reason why that happened is because we walked into a place with a different mindset than you normally would. We walked into that place with a mindset to serve. When you walk in, and I'm not saying this to puff myself up in any way at all. I don't mean that at all. Like there, there's, there'd be no point in boasting in what I've done when we can boast in what he's done. There's no point. I'm only sharing this with you to get something across, a mentality across. I'm just using this as an example. That's all. And so I said, let me pray with you. And she's like, I don't know, I don't know. And she, she takes my hand. And I'm like, no, you, you, you need peace. So I prayed with her for peace. And she was like, that's crazy. I feel like all this like soothing warmth inside. Because we have something to give people. I don't know if you realize what's inside of you. If you just say, I just give you the peace I have, take their hand, man, sometimes they'll tremble. They'll tremble. Unsaved people, they'll just tremble. Because it's the first time they're ever feeling accepted and loved by God. First time. Let's pray with her. It's awesome. We go, to the, we go to the place and I lead worship and speak and it was a great time. But the heart of that story was that if you didn't have freedom in your heart and you didn't live free, you would have seen all the tables and all the places and you would have seen that she's having a bad day and she was kind of being rude in the beginning. And you said, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the church and hang out, pray, get, you know, get, get in the spirit with God because I've not prepared a worship set nor a message kind of like this morning. And, um, you know, maybe I should go and pray and get in the spirit, you know, because it's, it's messy. It doesn't smell good. There's babies in here and they're screaming. I'm just going to go back to the church and just pray. But when you're free, when you're free, you find opportunities to serve. You just find them. You see them. You see life different. You just see it. You see trash while you're, you see rubbish on the ground while you're walking down the street in Cambridge City Center. And for no reason at all, no one's looking. You just see it and you just pick it up and throw it out because you're free. You get to serve. Therefore, putting to shame and silencing every evil word spoken about you because of the good works that you do. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And because I chose you, go bear fruit and let your fruit abide. Amen.